MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. Today, Biden's Office of Director of National Intelligence has confirmed that Russia tried to interfere in the 2020 election. Trump Org CFO Alan Weisselberg's daughter-in-law is cooperating with prosecutors in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. The Biden administration is racing to blunt a potential fourth surge of COVID cases. The Arizona GOP has been ordered to pay the legal fees for their frivolous election lawsuit against the Secretary of State there. Evgeny Vindman, Eugene, is set for promotion to full Colonel, despite bad evaluations from Trump appointees, corporations in Georgia have voiced opposition to Republican-led voter suppression laws, and Senator Whitehouse is alleging that the FBI investigation into Kavanaugh was fake. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Top of the top of the morning, top of the afternoon to you. Thank you. Yeah. And because uh, I found out like when I first did my um, DNA testing. They said that I was mostly like Dutch, but then they redid it and said I'm mostly Irish. Forty percent. Interesting. Irish. That seems like kind of a big mistake yeah. to make. So maybe <sighs> they were drinking when they did my DNA results. I don't know. Could have been. I don't know. Who knows? I am. I'm. I'm very much almost all Jew. Like <laughs> I'm super Jew on the DNA. Like ninety-seven point five percent. Which tribe? Um, Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi, which is very strange because I thought I was more of Sephardic because I tan quite well, unlike some other people in my family. <laughs> so either there's an issue there, but yes, apparently Ashkenazi, hmm. super Jew, super Jew, super Jew. Well, hey, happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, I, can, I can celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I can drink. We all can. Yeah. Now. Uh, yes, St. Patty's Day. Yes, I spell that with two D's in the script. You're welcome. Uh, oh, also, this Thursday, you and me, me and you. You and me. You and me, kid. <laughs> 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern on the Stereo app. Go to Stereo.com slash Allison Gill. Two L's and Allison, two L's and Gill. Create an account. Find me at Allison Gill. Follow me. Find Dana at DG Comedy and follow her. And then we will be doing live stuff on the Stereo app this Thursday at 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern. You can ask us questions, sing us songs, make comments, participate in the conversation. It's the coolest after party and I'm excited about it. I am as well. Rumor has it. I don't know if you saw this ag but they're going to be adding some some things that if the listeners want to show us a little more appreciation uh during these covid times they'll be able to do that through the app i don't know if you saw that but i'm super excited oh so we'll have more information on that yeah they may be setting up a virtual tip jar for shows oh new technologies yes 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 but yeah looking forward to it always a highlight of my week and speaking of virtual tip jars if you want to be a patron uh, but you can't swing it we've got a couple of donated one-year premium memberships available. Uh, it's uh, at go to dailybeanspod.com, scroll down on the first page, and you can sign up there. And if you have 36 bucks and you're able to swing a one-year, you know, you can donate a one-year membership. It's just $36 for somebody who can't do it. So check that out at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash wrote. I know you can do that, and it takes takes you to our full-on. You get all of it, Muller, she wrote, Daily Beans, everything, and it, all the way back to the archives, bonus uh, episodes, book club episodes, all the stuff you, you, you didn't get from uh, from being a... 
you know, just a public free listener, which is also something that you can do. Now, we have a lot of news to get to today, as you can tell from the opening there. Oh, I'm so excited. I want you to I want you to get to this lead story. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's a good news day. So let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everybody, I have two leads today. Two leads. First, an attorney representing the former daughter-in-law of the Trump Organization's CFO, Alan Weisselberg. We've spoken about him extensively. Uh, Her name is Jennifer. She's cooperating with prosecutors conducting an inquiry into Trump's finances. And she says she refuses. Well, her lawyer says she refused to be silenced. This is Jennifer Jennifer Weisselberg. Quote, she is committed to speaking the truth, no matter how difficult that may be. That's her attorney, Duncan Levin, uh, who was talking uh, to Insider, which is a, a media outlet. Quote, she will continue to cooperate fully with the various law enforcement agencies that are investigating her ex-husband's family in the very powerful interests they represent. Jennifer refuses to be silenced any longer by those who are conspiring to prevent her from sharing what she has learned over the past 25 years, Levin added. Interesting. Maybe witness intimidation. Hmm. Levin's comments come in response to a request for comment Friday about a New Yorker story. That was that Jane Mayer story I shared with everyone. And that's the story about the Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance, and his investigation into the Trump Organization and Trump himself. The story includes an anecdote from Jennifer Weisselberg, who told the New Yorker, Jane Mayer, that she met Trump at a shiva. And he shared photos of naked women with her at the Jewish mourning ceremony. I mean, who doesn't share naked pictures at a shiva? I thought... No, maybe that's a bris. I can't figure it out. God, he's such a horrible human being. Oh, God, he's disgusting. Yeah, it's 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 gross. And it, it, it took me back to those stories in Mary Trump's book about uh, him trying to flirt with girls, yeah. you know, when he was younger. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Now, Jennifer Weiselberg divorced Alan Weiselberg's son, Barry, in 2018. The couple received an apartment as a gift from Donald when they married in 2004. But Barry Weisselberg may have skipped out on paying taxes on it by categorizing it incorrectly in his tax filings. That's Whoopsie. according to Bloomberg. Hee <laughs> Oops. And uh, interesting that Trump would gift an apartment to the Weisselbergs, but no one in his family. Uh, just thought that'd be interesting. Now, that apartment, as well as other numerous financial entanglements between the Weisselbergs and Trump family, appear to be at the center of the effort to flip Weisselberg into cooperating, which the Southern District of New York did successfully uh, in 2017. So now another story coming out. We'll keep you uh, abreast of everything that's going on uh, with the Trump organization and the U.S. intelligence committee. Yeah, I know, right? To keep you abreast of the Shiva pictures. I know. I can't. As the lesbian, I'm just like, please keep me abreast of whatever you need to, Allison. Thank you. <laughs> and the U.S. intelligence community now has confirmed what we've been reporting forever since last summer. They have assessed that Russia attempted to interfere in the 2020 election by conducting influence operations aimed at denigrating President Biden's candidacy, helping Trump and denigrating the Democratic Party and undermining public confidence in the electoral process. Oh, and exacerbating sociopolitical divisions in the United States. This is this new report released by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence Tuesday. Thank God we have a new uh, DNI. I'm kidding. <laughs> the landmark intelligent re- intelligence report provides the most comprehensive assessment of foreign threats to the 2020 elections to date. Uh, probably because it's the Biden administration now. And it details extensive influence operations by U.S. adversaries, including Russia and Iran, that sought to undermine confidence in the democratic process, in addition to specifying trying to denigrate Biden. False allegations about Biden were, you know, amplified and funded. 
Uh, gosh, I wonder which ones. Uh, the U.S. is expected to unveil sanctions as soon as next week. And that, hence the FBI bulletin I spoke with Frank Figluzzi about, right, that, that, that we should expect heavy social media bullshit from Russia in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, and uh, Figluzzi very astutely pointed out it's probably because we're about to slap down some sanctions pretty hard. Yeah. And, do some like retaliatory cyber attacks and stuff like that for the solar winds attack. So keep 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 your head on a swivel uh, <laughs> on social media, <laughs> just to be sure. I think we're all pretty good at, re- at recognizing um, Russian propaganda, Russian disinformation. I, I know we are. I worry about the other side. Uh, I do indeed. Angie, thank you for that. Uh, this story: the White House is racing to prevent and prepare for a potential fourth coronavirus surge. As more transmissible coronavirus variants spread across the U.S., investing billions of dollars to boost coronavirus preparedness, accelerating the pace of vaccinations and working to prepare the public and governors for the prospect of another surge. In what would be a first, the White House is drawing up plans to surge vaccines to emerging hotspots in an attempt to blunt the virus's trajectory and protect those at highest risk. Now, that focus has increased in recent weeks as the decline in new daily cases has slowed, leveling off at a worryingly high level. So, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention believes the more transmissible B117 variant, which was first identified in the United Kingdom, will be the dominant strain within weeks here. There are also concerns about governors and local officials prematurely loosening public health restrictions in a slew of states. (coughs) Texas, Mississippi. (coughs) Excuse me. A fourth surge would be the first on President Biden's watch and a major test for the new administration. And while some constraints still remain, including lopsided authority of state and local officials over the federal government in implementing public health restrictions, a half dozen Biden administration officials told CNN they believe the federal government is better prepared than ever before to handle a surge. And I have to believe that that is true, Allison. It, it is, 100%. Would you rather have Trump trying <laughs> no. to stop this fourth surge? No. Uh-uh. no. So here's some pretty cool news. Um, kind of like big ups to major corporations. I, I, I didn't think I would see this, but Coca-Cola and Home Depot, two major corporations based in Georgia, have voiced their opposition to the Republican-led effort to restrict access to voting in the state. And that's according to the Washington Post. Part of me believes these giant corporations are against it because it also uh, oppresses Republican votes. <laughs> it's true. I, I think mm. one of the things to point out, and I, 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 this is important to me with the LGBTQ community, everyone thinks Home Depot is a bad corporation. No, the founder, one of the founders who's no longer involved with the company Mm. is a Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. The people in charge of Home Depot now are not. Mm -hmm. So please do your research before you share articles that they're, you know, anti-LGBTQ or any of those things. Uh, Home Depot is actually a a really good company these days. Yeah, they aren't anymore. And now they're opposing the Republican-led effort to restrict Voting access. Major corporations in Georgia have been under pressure from civil liberties groups to stand against legislation advancing in the Georgia General Assembly that would make it harder for people to vote, disproportionately so for racial and low income minority groups. The Georgia Chamber of Commerce issued a statement to CNBC that expressed its concern and opposition to provisions in two bills, SB 241 and HB 531. We went over them uh, last week. Uh, Both of them restrict voter access. Coca-Cola and Home Depot representatives told The Post their companies were aligned with the chamber's statement. Voting rights advocates have called for stronger action from the chamber's member companies, which include Coca-Cola, Home Depot, Aflac, UPS, Southern Co., and Delta Airlines. 
uh, groups including Black Voters Matter, the New Georgia Project Action Fund, and the Georgia NAACP have ratcheted up the pressure for those businesses to take an explicit and public stance against the measures. Not to just say, yeah, we agree, uh, but to be very explicit about it, uh, to stop donations to Republicans sponsoring the legislation. From Georgia lawmaker Stacey Abrams, a leading Democratic voting rights activist, we know who Stacey is, has called the efforts to restrict voters' access racist and, quote, a redux of Jim Crow in a suit and a tie. Quote, she says, we know that the only thing that precipitated these changes, it's not that there was the question of security. Uh, And so the only connection that we can find is that more people of color voted and it changed the outcome of the election in a direction that Republicans do not like. She said during a call with other activists Tuesday that business leaders should take an unequivocal stance on the matter. Quote, there should be no silence from the business community when anyone in power is trying to strip away the right to vote from the people. There should be a hue and a cry. Indeed. The suit and the tie, that Jim Crow in a suit and a tie is just such a powerful message. It's so powerful, that statement. Now, this last one, I just, I have to laugh. It's just so, it's so delicious. The FBI is facing new scrutiny for its 2018 background check on no one other than drunken Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court justice, after lawmakers suggested that the investigation may have been fake. Yeah, no shit. Uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat, yeah, file that under no shit. Thanks. (laughs) Sheldon Whitehouse, who I love, Mm, uh, a Democratic senator and former prosecutor who serves on the Judiciary Committee, is calling on the newly confirmed Attorney General Garland to help facilitate, quote, proper oversight by the Senate into questions about how thoroughly the FBI investigated Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearing. The FBI was called to investigate the allegations during the Senate confirmation process, but was later accused by some Democratic senators of conducting an incomplete background check. I don't know, for example, two key witnesses, A.G., Ford and Kavanaugh, were never interviewed as part of the inquiry. Yeah, I I feel like that may have been two very important witnesses. Among the concerns listed in White House's letter to Garland are allegations that some witnesses who wanted to share their accounts with the FBI could not find anyone at the Bureau who would accept their testimony and that it had not assigned any individual to accept or gather evidence. Do you really need evidence in an investigation? I mean, no. You're just splitting hairs at this point. I mean, seriously, let's not get specific here. So White House went on to say once the FBI decided to create, quote, a tip line, senators were not given any information on how or whether new allegations were perce- uh, processed and evaluated. Now, while senators' brief review of the allegations gathered by the tip line showed, quote, a stack of information had come in, there was no further explanation on the steps that had been taken to review the information. That's according to White House. So <laughs> We just got a stack. We got yeah, a stack. We got, we got a binder full of tips. Done. I, I, we haven't looked at it, but it's pretty full. <laughs> Look at this stack, would you? Look at all this. <laughs> He went on to say the tip line appears to have operated more like a garbage chute (laughs) with everything that came down the chute consigned without review to the figurative dumpster. Mm. He also criticized FBI Director Chris Wray, who Joe Biden has elected to remain in place 
uh, for not answering questions about the investigation. So the FBI did not respond to requests for comment. Surprise, surprise. The DOJ also not respond to requests for comment, which doesn't surprise me. I don't know about UAG, but if they're going to start looking into this, I would also really love if they maybe did a little background check on who paid off Kavanaugh's debt before confirmation and had a, a really early resignation by a Supreme Court justice whose son happened to be at a bank that loaned Trump a billion dollars when no one else would listen. Mm. I'm just saying perhaps there's some leads to follow. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, again, you know, evidence from evidence. Um, yeah. Who, 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 do you, who, who bought those season tickets, right? Yeah. You know, it was just, who, I mean, who doesn't rack up $200,000 in tickets? Oh, well, you know, I mean, chump change, right? <laughs> Uh, all right. And, and that almost made it into the schadenfreude segment. Uh, but because it's ongoing, it will, I think, eventually be in there. But now we do have some schadenfreude. schadenfreude. All right. A state court in Arizona ordered state Republican Party there to pay more than $18,000 in legal fees to Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, who I love, for an unsuccessful lawsuit that sought a second hand count of election results in the state. The latest instance of Trump allies now facing consequences for their failed legal campaign challenging Biden's victory. And Army Lieutenant Colonel Yevgeny Eugene Vindman is set to be promoted to full bird. He's going to be a full colonel. Despite attempts by loyalists to former President Donald Trump to derail his career following his bit role in the president's first impeachment. And Roger Stone is begging for money on parlor. Alms <laughs> <laughs> um, for the weird. He says, after the Democrats tried to destroy him by deplatforming him, that's a thing, with a 16-month gag order. That was a court, by the way, that did that. Because yeah. he put up a picture of a judge's head in crosshairs. Uh, and removing him from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It's been difficult for me to sell my book or launch my podcast. Please, can I have the violin music? And now he needs money. And he said Bitcoin's cool, too. Uh, and he needs money to fight the deep state. And also to pay rent and bills and buy groceries for the Stone family, for Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, I guess he's not going to sell rocks again. What's that you say? Yes. At one point, he sold rocks called Roger Stones. (laughs) Trouble with that is he didn't quite think it through. Rocks are heavy and expensive to ship. So he lost money on the rock selling adventure. Maybe he could sell a couple of his Roger Rabbit suits and like pay off some groceries. (laughs) Sell some of his steampunk goggles. There you go. (laughs) Sell those fancy bowls that everyone who has to come to his house for a party has to put their keys in. Oh, God. No, I'm, you know what? I'm not. I'm pro-sex. I'm not going to sex shame. No. Uh, just Roger Stone shaming. That's all. He was always that creepy old guy at the goth club that wanted us to go home with his family. All right. We'll be right back with the director of democracy policy for the Indivisible Project, Megan Hatcher Mays. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff, including Kavanaugh, the subcommittee on court reform. We're going to talk about the filibuster and perhaps killing it or reforming it. And we're going to talk about Uh, Just some really incredible stuff that's going on with their group, which she's incredible, by the way. And she's been working on D.C. statehood for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And we now finally have a D.C. statehood hearing on the calendar. We're going to talk about that, too. So stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by Fiverr, connecting businesses with freelancers to change how the world works together. Working as a team can be challenging. Trying to manage any group of people in a cohesive way to get everyone on the same page is really difficult, especially when your freelancers go rogue. Fiverr Business makes it incredibly easy to find and manage top talent. With Fiverr Business, you get access to an all-star team of super freelancers, plus all the tools and support you need to easily integrate them into your existing workflow. So when it's time to nail your big next brand refresh, product launch, or investor pitch, whatever you're doing, you can feel confident with Fiverr covering all your bases. If you're hoping to grow your team in business, I recommend getting Fiverr businesses help. In my experience, managing a growing business can get very complicated very fast. So for my next podcast project, I'm going to use Fiverr. Fiverr business is a modern workplace for the digital world. Collaborate with your team, manage projects, and share freelancers all in one workspace. Fiverr business simplifies work with multiple freelancers and matches you with the best talent for every project. Set budgets and manage projects with ease. It's a simple way to get your business up for success and vastly increased productivity. Collaborating online hasn't been this easy since ever. And right now, you can sign up for Fiverr Business free for the first year. Get one free year and save 10% on your purchase on Fiverr Business with promo code DAILYBEANS. Just go to fiverr.com slash business. That's F-I-V-E-R-R dot com slash business. And don't forget to use promo code DAILYBEANS. All right, everybody, welcome back. I am honored today to be speaking with the Director of Democracy Policy for the Indivisible Project, Megan Hatcher Mays. Megan, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm re- yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. I haven't had you on the show before. I'm really excited to talk to you because and this is just serendipitous timing because all of the things that you're focusing on uh, are happening. They're they're starting to happen. And so this is really, really exciting. And I want to ask you really quickly, you just started the For the People project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think here we are in this sort of once in a generation moment where, you know, Democrats have control of the House, they have control of the Senate, even though it's the margins are very, very tight. Um, And we won back the White House. And so we've you know, handed Democrats this this majority, this governing majority, and it's time to really use it. And the first thing that we need to do is fix our democracy, which is a big job, um, but it's necessary. I mean, I think, you know, obviously our democracy has taken several body blows over the last four years, but all of this kind of didn't start with Trump. Um, you know, the fact that Trump was elected in the first place kind of gives you a sense of, <laughs> you know, that our democracy was sort of designed badly. And it could use some improvements if, you know, the ultimate um, outcome is that somebody like Donald, as corrupt as Donald Trump actually got elected to the presidency. So the For the People project is really all about structural democracy reform. Uh, It means that we really need to pass the For the People Act, which is HR1 or S1 in the Senate that's already passed the House, but it's moving on to the Senate. We need to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, that's HR4, And we really need to make D.C. the 51st state. I mean, there's a lot of issues facing our democracy at the moment. But one of those things is that our Senate is not representative of the country as a whole. There are 700,000 people in the District of Columbia who have no voting representation in Congress at all. And really, the only way to fix that problem is to make um, D.C. a state. So that's what the For the People Project is all about. We have this opportunity to build a democracy that actually works by, of, and for the people for the first time ever in this country's history. It has just really never been the case that our democracy worked for everyone. And now we have a chance to do that. But uh, we need our Senate Democrats to to think big mm. to make it happen. Yeah. And, and the D.C. statehood thing has been something that has just mystified me for a very long time because 
all of us as kids growing up taking civics classes, we all remember w- the, 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 the battle cry, no taxation <laughs> without representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet here we are with, with delegates for territories, delegates for D.C. that have no voting power. Uh, and therefore, the, the people of this country as a whole are not represented equally, mm-hmm. uh, as, you, as you were saying. And I wanted to talk, but we've got a lot of uh, cool things coming up. We've got the, the, the court reform subcommittee, because, you know, I'm, I'm pro doubling the federal bench and expanding <laughs> the Supreme Court, uh, as many people are, but also for this D.C. statehood um, situation as far as structural democracy goes. And, and I've always been like, yes, and um, we'll talk about the filibuster later. I'm like, yes, kill the filibuster, but let's get our representation straight in, in Congress first. So we aren't uh, like one old guy heart attack away from losing the majority. <laughs> um, but uh, tell us a little bit, you've been working on DC statehood for so long. Tell us a little bit about the history of DC statehood. Yeah, it's been decades and decades of a lot of work. You know, the people who have lived here, uh, my former boss, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, she's the non-voting delegate for the District of Columbia. And she, you know, a lot of this comes down to her and how she has worked so hard to kind of turn this from in, from a slogan, like you said, to turn it from no taxation without representation into like a viable policy. I mean, this is like a mainstream Democratic platform now. This is not some sort of like weird idea that you know, people had. Um, and so a lot has changed over the last uh, few few years in particular. Even since I left her office in 2018, the, the amount of support for this bill has increased significantly among Democrats. And in fact, when it passed the House last Congress, every single Democrat uh, voted yes, except for one, but he is no longer in Congress. So all good. Um, so that's great. I think, you know, historically, the reason that D.C. has been denied statehood or denied enfranchisement in Congress is because of the demographics of of the city. Um, D.C. is known as Chocolate City. The reason for that is because it, it was for a very long time a majority Black city. Um, uh, now it's not quite where plurality Black, but majority Black POC, people of color, uh, live here. So it's mostly not white people who live here. And we've been denied very explicitly uh, political power for that reason. You know, you had uh, conservative um, legislators going as far back as like the early 19th centuries, looking around, seeing how many black people lived in the district and saying this, this place, this jurisdiction cannot have a say in Congress because of the makeup of the city. And that continues to be true to this day. All the um, Republicans are smart enough not to say it quite like that quite as explicitly. Um, that's very obvious what they're getting at when they say they don't support D.C. statehood. <laughs> I mean, you could go and look at the Hoffler files, right, for for redistricting, which did actually explicitly say we need to draw lines to benefit white Republicans. Like, I'm not paraphrasing. Uh, and when all that came out, that is a really excellent argument for D.C. statehood. And something else that uh, happened about nine and a half weeks ago. Uh, the insurrection on the Capitol and the botched security and law enforcement response um, to, to the siege on the Capitol to overthrow our democracy, I think provides an excellent argument for D.C. statehood because you're going to be able to streamline that that sort of infrastructure uh, for those responses. And then, of course, I mean, 
uh, we know why they didn't respond, but you know it, it's it's important to be able to to see the failings uh, of that day and and make a really strong argument. Not that you didn't already have one for <laughs> DC for DC statehood. Um, I mean, it's a glaring um, uh, a glaring gap in in what is needed to to run that that city. Yeah. So um, unlike the governors of states, uh, the mayor of the District of Columbia does not have um, authority over the D.C. National Guard. So the mayor can request to call up the D.C. National Guard, but ultimately the executive branch, that would be the president, would have to approve that request. You know, obviously under Democratic presidents, that's not a problem. Um, Usually they just approve it. Um, But in this case, it was a problem. Donald Trump uh, denied the mayor's request for many, many hours before the National Guard finally showed up at the Capitol. Now, if we were a state, she would have the same right as every other governor everywhere else in this country to be able to call up the National Guard. Um, I think, you know, even more disturbing is if you compare the response to the January 6th events with the otherwise very peaceful Black Lives Matter protests that happened last summer after George Floyd was killed. Um, We had here in D.C. in what is now known as Black Lives Matter Plaza, Um, otherwise very peaceful Black Lives Matter protests, basically calling for racial justice, calling for accountability. Um, Donald Trump sent in federal law enforcement officers. He sent in military personnel um, in in uniform, in camouflage, uh, out into these protests, and they gassed peaceful protesters so that Donald Trump could have a photo opportunity in front of a church across the street from the White House. So if you compare that to uh, what happened on January 6th. It's very stark. Now, the reason that, you know, the president can send in military personnel and federal law enforcement, including the FBI and including ICE uh, into the district is because we're not a state. Under normal circumstances, if the president wants to do that, if he wants to send in federal law enforcement into a state, he has to ask the governor for permission. And then the governor can say, yes, you can send federal troops or you can send federal law enforcement in D.C., the president doesn't have to do that because we are not a state. We don't have the same rights as everybody else. And that's where you see this discrepancy in the response between June 2020 at the Black Lives Matter protests and January 6th at the white supremacist mob at the Capitol. Yeah. And not just June, but July, August and September. And when the commander of the D.C. National Guard, William Walker, testified to the Joint Senate Committee about law enforcement response, uh, and and was asked, hey, you know, you have to go through six levels to get D.C. National Guard out there. Uh, that seems to be the problem. And he goes, well, it wasn't a problem last June or July or August right. or September when I made the re- when I made the requests back then. It took seconds to get those approvals mm-hmm. where it took th- over three hours right. uh, for this particular one. And then you have Senator Ron Johnson saying the quiet part out loud. Right. Uh, oh, well, I felt safe, uh, basically, because they were white. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have felt I would have felt that I was in more danger if it was Black Lives Matter protesters. Right. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for that. <laughs> and, and, and what's uh, all, so alarming is that when he told that podcast guy, I can't even remember his name, he said, now this is going to get me in trouble. But and then he comes out later and says, no, my comments weren't racist. It's like, really? Why did you think that they would get you in trouble? <laughs> Why did you that's like the, uh, you know, the equivalent of, you know, looking over both shoulders before telling a racist joke like right. you knew yeah. it was going to get you in trouble, yeah. Ron. Now, um, I think 
I want to talk a little bit about some of the things, some of the obstacles uh, to D.C. statehood, um, specifically the filibuster, because in order to get D.C. statehood approved, we it's not a budgetary reconciliation issue. So you can't use the budget reconciliation project like we did for the covid bill or like the Republicans used for the tax scam bill. Uh, so it would have to go through that. It would need 60 votes yes. in the Senate to pass unless we kill the filibuster. So what uh, what are y'all doing uh, with regards to that? Because I know, Senator White, there are some now some, you know, old school, uh, middle of the road, uh, what we call establishment Democrats who are who apparently who were just learning this week have been fighting hard and lobbying hard to get this uh, filibuster ended. Yeah, from people that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So people like uh, Dick Durbin, who is the whip, he's like the second you know, in command after, you know, Chuck Schumer. Um, he's a longtime, you know, Senate institutionalist. He, you know, as of 2018 was saying, I don't want to get rid of the filibuster because it'll sort of destroy the whole concept of the Senate as an institution. And just this week, he's saying, you know what, actually just kidding. We are not getting anything done with the, with the filibuster in place. Uh, we, we need to get rid of it or we need to reform it um, which is really, really good news because uh, Dick Durbin is, again, second in in line um, for as far as the Democratic caucus is concerned. And then you, we are also hearing that um, folks are having conversations with their colleagues behind the scenes. Obviously, a lot of the more progressive members, I think I would count Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island among those, are really kind of seeing the writing on the wall here, which is, again, we've given, you know, the American people gave Democrats this mandate to govern and they're being blocked from doing it by uh, by the minority party who benefits from our broken democracy. So the Republicans have no incentive to join, you know, the Democrats in passing the For the People Act or making D.C. a state. They're, all the incentives on their end is to make it harder for people to vote, make the Senate less representative, and that way they can kind of keep their control over, you know, they can maintain their power. So there's no 10 Republicans anywhere in the Senate who are going to vote in favor of the For the People Act. But our democracy is really under threat. It continues to be under threat, even though Trump is gone. Trump is not the president. But, you know, there's a lot of damage that was done. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's good. It's, it kind of seems to be moving in the right direction. That's great because there is no democracy reform that we're going to be able to pass through reconciliation. We really need to get rid of the filibuster to do it. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the filibuster and mansion. I also want to talk about... Um, the upcoming oversight hearing, uh, <clears throat> oversight committee hearing on DC statehood and court reform. But I do have to take a quick break. Would you mind sticking around with me for a minute? Yeah, of course. All right, great. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of the podcast is brought to you by Plush Care. With everything we've gone through this year, our health should be our number one priority. And despite everything that's going on now, it's crucial to be able to see your doctor when you're not feeling well. That's why I use Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments, and scheduling an appointment even for the same day is super easy. I just pick a slot that works for me, click, click, and I'm booked, so I don't waste time on hold or sitting in crowded waiting rooms, which is dangerous. With my Plush Care membership, I see my doctor from the comfort of my own home, wearing my PJs if I want, and I can get diagnosed, 
treated, and even have prescriptions sent to my local pharmacy if I needed, all within minutes. And if I have any questions before or after my visit, I get to send unlimited messages to my care team anytime. And Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers, and it's available in all 50 states. Plush Care doctors are here to help by diagnosing and discussing treatment options and providing prescriptions as needed. The entire process has been stress-free, and uh, I immediately felt comfortable and confident with my doctor because all Plush Care doctors graduated from one of the top 50 medical schools in the country, and they're all highly rated by their patients. So I get peace of mind that I'm getting high-quality care. Plush Care makes it easy for me to get the excellent care I need when I need it. And with Plush Care, I don't put off seeing a doctor, and neither should you. No more excuses. So make your appointment today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans. Plushcare.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to Megan Hatcher Mays. I'm very excited to be speaking with you today because you are so knowledgeable on 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 these issues. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, ending the filibuster. And now, since Mansion at first, Mansion and Cinema were like, "No, I'm not going to do anything ever to ever mess with the filibuster." But now, and maybe because of some of the pressure from from White House, uh, from Senator White House, not the White House, but Senator White House and some of his other colleagues, uh, he's saying, I'm open to reforming the filibuster, which makes it very painful. He said the word painful about nine times for the minority to uh, filibust, I guess. <laughs> like 41 of them have to be there. They have to continually stand and speak. Uh, it, it just makes it more difficult, but it's still sort of in place. Do you see any filibuster reform as helping uh, this, like maybe even changing the requirement of 60 to 55? I don't even think we could get five Republicans <laughs> to come on board um, so, because of what's happened now to Murkowski uh, in Alaska. She's been censured because, you know, she's she's split with the party so many times. But what are your thoughts on a, a reformed filibuster helping? Well, it's certainly possible. I, I, I don't. So I think what Joe Manchin is getting at is uh, going back to the time of the talking filibuster. So for people who have seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington, yes. you know, they actually have to physically go down and like talk for many, many hours. They have to talk for like the whole 60 hours or however long for debate. Um, and then once that's over, you can take the vote. Um, I am less, uh, I'm less confident that restoring the talking filibuster would somehow discourage Republicans from either wasting the Senate's time or obstructing um, the Democrats' agenda. I think the best path forward is just to get rid of it. Uh, there's just, there just is no really other way, other path forward. I mean, the issue with the talking filibuster is unless they change a bunch of other rules too, both parties would basically have to be on or near the Senate floor for the full 60 hours. If even one Democrat goes missing during this, Republicans can immediately move to adjourn whatever it is they're debating. They can try to pass a bunch of stuff through unanimous consent. It's just a mess. Um, you know, if you're doing all that anyway, if you're changing all the rules anyway, you might as well just get rid of it. You know, there might be a situation where they carve out an exception for certain types of bills. So some people have said, well, the filibuster surely shouldn't apply to any democracy reform because there is kind of no stark, more stark an example of anti-democratic obstruction than like the minority party blocking good government bills or blocking an expansion of democracy. So why not get rid of it for the For the People Act or the Voting Rights Act? And, and for D.C. statehood, you know, no state has been subject to the filibuster before being admitted to the union. So why not at least get rid of it for D.C. statehood? So those are some of the reforms on the table. I mean, I think, look, whatever gets stuff moving in the Senate, I think folks should be open to. But at the end of the day, there are not 10 Republican votes for most of the stuff 
that Joe Biden wants to get done or that Senate Democrats want to get done, including like immigration, climate change, all that stuff, health care, all that stuff. Yeah, we couldn't even get any Republican votes in the Senate for COVID relief. And and even afterwards, now we have a bunch of congressional representative Republicans saying, look what we did. <laughs> yeah. Yay! Yeah. Right. It's like you voted against it. Now, I've always been concerned about, um, you know, at this particular point in, in time, getting rid of the filibuster because we have such a narrow margin that a retirement or uh, incapacitation of a senator could lead to uh, losing our majority. However, like you said, if you could maybe I mean, if you're doing it for D.C. statehood uh, and you get that done or maybe you change the filibuster uh, rule, like you said, for things that are structural democracy changes, do that, get D.C. statehood. Then I feel safer um, getting rid of the entire filibuster Mm. when you run up uh, because you will run up against walls. And the way the government likes to work is they like to be reactionary. So they'll say, well, let's just see if it works and then it (laughs) won't work. And then they'll say, "Okay, it didn't work. But the problem with trying to get D.C. statehood through with a reformed filibuster is that the, the whole idea behind the reformed filibuster is that during that 60 hours of debate, when everyone has to stand and talk, that maybe they can work out some negotiations. You know, maybe they can come to a settlement agreement. But there's really nothing to negotiate in D.C. statehood. It either is or it isn't. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you can like add things or change things to the package. Right. You either yeah. have D.C. statehood or you do not. Right. Uh, and so. I'm my the my the way I envision it. I think I would love it the most if they changed the the filibuster rules. If they could get Mansion and Cinema on board to change the filibuster rules to allow for changes in in structural democracy, get DC statehood that way, then really push to kill the entire filibuster. Yeah. I would be like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> but uh, that's sort of where I'm at because we've talked on this show a lot about amending the budget reconciliation rules with Chuck Schumer. He brought that up to Rachel Maddow. He's got, I got a trick. I can amend the budget reconciliation rules. But I mean, trying to get, we, you know, trying to get DC statehood through using an amended budget reconciliation, even if you did do that, I don't think Manchin and Cinema would agree to it because it is effectively ending the filibuster uh, <laughs> when you do that. Like if you change the budget reconciliation rules to say, we can pass any bill we want with a simple majority. That's yeah ending the filibuster basically yeah yeah i don't disagree with that yeah so they they should just get rid of the filibuster i agree (laughs) (laughs) now i wanted to talk to you a little bit about the upcoming now we have on the calendar march 22nd oversight committee hearing about dc statehood Mm -hmm. what do you expect to come out of that hearing well um it should be interesting uh in a lot of different ways so there was a very similar hearing uh on dc statehood just like this one that took place back in 2019 before that bill passed the house um, and this one will be very similar. All, it's like all the same witnesses. The mayor of the district will be there. Our wonderful chairman of the council, Phil Mendelson, will be there, um, and a couple other folks. And then, of course, Republicans get to invite somebody, and they've invited a guy from Cato, the Cato Institute, to come and complain that D.C. statehood is not constitutional. Um, so last time, I think it was it, it's, it's a good opportunity. I, you know, it's a good opportunity for to kind of assuage any fears that people might have about actually making D.C. a state like this is the closest we've ever been to being able to make D.C. a state. We have control of the Senate. And so um, I think it's kind of important to think of this hearing as an opportunity for the two chambers to kind of talk to each other a little bit. So, you know, Joe Manchin has said, I want to see the pros and cons of D.C. statehood. This hearing is that this hearing is the pros and cons of D.C. statehood. And I think, you know, if Joe Manchin or his staff watches, they'll see their are no cons and it's all pros. So I hope they tune in. Um, but I think, so last time it was all about, you know, Hey, don't worry about it. DC state, DC statehood is constitutional. 
DC is in good financial health. Like we can afford to be a state because that's kind of an old trope that Republicans kind of trot out that we had some budgetary issues back in the seventies. Oh, cause like Mississippi is doing so well. Right. Well, there's lots of states that, I mean, a state's financial health, that's not how we decide anyway. Um, so, um, you, you know, those sorts of things, but really what they're really upset about is that DC is uh, mostly, um, Republicans are upset about is that DC is mostly a democratic jurisdiction and they don't, they are calling it a partisan power grab to make DC uh, a state. Yeah. And they don't want two more votes of color. in the Senate. Yes. So I would, yes. And so I would anticipate Republicans to talk about that a lot, but also in 2019, they talked a lot about the loss of parking spaces, um, if DC were to become a state, they would have no place to park. So yes, that is also a very important consideration to, to take under advisement is that Republicans may have to park elsewhere. Um, very bananas, uh, hearing in 2019. And I expect a kind of a replay, uh, a silly season on Monday. I would like to know what Jim Jordan drives, where he parks in DC. <laughs> Aren't all these people just dropped off by their drivers I mean, and or take the take public tra- whatever. There are a ton of parking <laughs> lots on the Capitol. I've seen them with my own eyes and so I'm sure they just park there. I don't know what the big deal is, but um but yes, it it will just be silly season on the Republican side of things, yeah. but for Democrats it's really a good opportunity to try to like get that message out to like those four or so remaining Senator democratic senators on the Senate side who don't yet support. It's just a way to say it's all right. There's nothing to see here. It's not scary. This is a popular policy. It's important for democracy and it's a huge racial justice issue. It's just a matter of basic fairness to give the people living in the capital the same representation as everybody else in this country. Yeah. Just go back to that originalist language. Don't you want that (laughs) taxation without representation? I hope, I don't know that they'll do this, but I hope they bring in some uh, witnesses from the insurrection, maybe some family members of fallen police officers, mm. D.C. police officers and Metro police officers, Capitol police officers, maybe William Walker, have the commander of National Guard, uh, D.C. come in. Yogananda Pittman, the the current head of, of the Capitol Police, uh, just something uh, to to sort of drive home how the response and the the horrific, uh, you know, events that went down on January 6th would have been diverted and would have been mitigated and stopped had we had D.C. statehood at the time. Um, Before I let you go, we've got a new court reform subcommittee uh, that I think is very, very awesome and very important because I have been very about doubling the national federal, the federal bench and and expanding the Supreme Court. Again, things we can't do with the filibuster in place. But um, I also wanted to, to ask you about that and ask you about New reports coming out about Kavanaugh and the FBI investigation into all of the other women who came forward, mm-hmm. uh, you know, during the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, confirmation hearings, the I want beer hearings, um, because now I think it's Senator Whitehouse who has written a letter saying, I think that that whole investigation was fake. And I, and I think Christopher Ray might have to answer for that. So tell me about a little bit about what you guys are doing for court reform and, and Kavanaugh and things like that. Yeah. So um, the sad news is I think we're stuck with Brett Kavanaugh for a while unless he willingly um, resigns or retires. Um, there is a way to impeach a sitting Supreme Court justice. It's the same process as impeaching a president, which we just lived through twice over the last uh, four years. So I'm sure everyone is an expert on impeachment now. Yeah. And killing the filibuster doesn't change uh, right. the impeachment requirement of 67 votes. Right. You'd still need two thirds. And so that is very unlikely to happen unless there is some investigation, a new investigation of Kavanaugh that uncovers not just, um, 
instances of, you know, bad or illegal behavior before he became a justice, but while he has been a justice. And that would probably be the only situation in which you might find some Republicans um, wanting to remove him from the bench. So instead, you have to figure out a different way to sort of neutralize the fact that Brett Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court at all, which should never have happened. Please let me be clear. He is terrible and should he should never have been confirmed. He's like not even qualified. In addition to being a terrible person, he's also like not qualified to be a judge or a Supreme Court justice. So that's fun. But there's a, you have to look at d- different avenues for neutralizing both Brett Kavanaugh, but also the extreme sort of ideological bent of the current makeup of the Supreme Court. So right now the conservatives have a 6-3, and it's not just like I have some sort of idle disagreement like on ideology with these people. If they are extremists in the strongest sense of the word, and they were sort of handpicked by these um, dark money groups. And speaking of White House, he talks about this all the time, that we don't even know who is like supporting these uh, Supreme Court justices' nominations because they don't have to, um, they don't have to disclose their donors or where they get their money from. But one group spent, you know, something like $15 million to get Neil Gorsuch confirmed to this, the bench. And we don't know who, who cut the check. We don't know who paid that $15 million. So this is a very bad group of six and they're unelected and they're anti-democratic and they have not yet found a voter suppression law that they didn't love. You know, you can like kind of draw a straight line from John Roberts gutting the, the voting rights act to Stacey Abrams losing the governorship in Georgia in 2018. Like that's the reason why that happened. Um, so you have to start looking at ways to fix this problem. So there's a lot of urgent threats facing the Supreme Court, that, and it's the six of those, six conservatives, basically. So you have to add seats. You got to add at least four. So that's what we're pushing for. Indivisible wants to add seats. Uh, we That's the most important court reform that we need to see uh, in Congress. No one's introduced a bill on that quite yet, um, and no one has in the past. That's the most important thing that we need to see happen in this Congress. Um, we need to expand the lower courts as well. So there's precedent for this. Uh, Jimmy Carter added about 150 seats back in the seventies. And the reason for it was he was saying, Hey, the art, the the judiciary is not very, um, diverse. Uh, and there's a huge backlog of cases. Guess what? That's still a problem right now. And part of the reason that's a problem right now is because Donald Trump confirmed (laughs) 200 judges to the lower courts. And they were almost all white guys, many of them unqualified. And 200 judges, by the way, is one third of the entire federal judiciary. That is a lot of judges. And again, Trump gone, Trumpism in the judiciary for for the rest of their lives. So it's very scary. So we got to add some seats to the lower courts too, to make them more fair and restore a little bit more balance and um, increase diversity on the bench. Um, The Supreme Court also doesn't have to follow the same code of ethics as any other federal judge, which is wild. That's weird. Because once Kavanaugh was in there, right, he was free from ethical investigations. You know, it's like, and a lot of judges who are facing either sexual harassment investigations or other sorts of ethical investigations, they can just get out of it by just retiring. So that's what happened to Judge Kaczynski, who was Brett Kavanaugh's mentor um, on the Ninth Circuit. It also happened to Trump's sister. Correct. They can just retire, get their pension, and then the investigation just kind of goes away. So we need to see some ethics reforms for the Supreme Court in particular, but kind of federal judges across the board. And then also term limits. It's the most popular Supreme Court um, reform. Uh, That way, every president would get two Supreme Court picks per term. It's just that that's sort of a forward-facing, long-term 
reform, it wouldn't apply retroactively. So it wouldn't apply to Brett Kavanaugh or John Roberts or any of the people who are already on the bench. It'd be people confirmed in the future. So again, it's important, but it doesn't really address the urgent threats that we're facing right now. And what would address those urgent threats is adding four seats. So I know it's kind of a outre idea, um, but it's super, super important because we are on the cusp of like fighting our butts off to get the For the People Act passed and the Voting Rights Act passed and D.C. statehood passed and all that stuff is going to end up in court. And if we don't have a fair judiciary, none of it is going to be upheld. So really, court reform is a really critical piece of the fight to fix our democracy for sure. Yeah. So if people want to learn more, you can go to unrigthecourts.org and check it out. Oh, great. I was going to ask you where to go. So there we go. Yeah. Wouldn't it be lovely to live in a country where one person got one vote um, and, uh, we got to, every, the president got to, uh, whoever the president was got to select two, uh, for their term. And that means that the people, the, who the people elect is dictates who gets on the court. Oh my gosh. It's like actual having like representing <laughs> the American people. What a concept. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I hope they dig into the dark money that Sheldon Whitehouse has brought up a few times. I hope they, somebody, maybe the judiciary, the house judiciary looks into who paid off Kavanaugh's debts, uh, why, uh, Justice Kennedy retired so quickly and how interesting it is that his son was uh, working for Deutsche Bank, lending Trump a bunch of money. And do that. like, I would really just like those answers um, <laughs> where, where those uh, season tickets came. Anyway, um, we'll we'll see what happens and we'll keep following this. I appreciate your time today. Um, can you tell us one more time where people can go to get information on For the People Project and uh, unrig the court? Yes. For For the People Project, just go to indivisible.org and check it out. It's like the first thing that you see when you go to our website. And if you want to know more about the courts, you should check out our coalition that I founded. It's called Unrig the Courts. And the website is unrigthecourts.org. Awesome. Thank you so much. Director of Democracy Policy for the Indivisible Project, Megan Hatcher-Mays. It's been an honor to speak to you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and I'm here to tell you about Babbel, the number one selling language learning app. Uh, One of my goals this year was to learn a new language, and Babbel has made that whole process addictively fun and easy with bite-sized lessons that you actually use in the real world. With Babbel, uh, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. I'm working on Spanish and French right now, French for the pronunciation, and Babbel has made it a breeze. Babbel's 15-minute lessons, they're just 15 minutes, and they it's a perfect way to learn a new language on the go. So I just take it on my walk with me when I'm working out. And the cool thing here is that these are language lessons that are so much better than the ones you took in high school because they design their courses with practical real-world conversations in mind, things you use in everyday life. You know what I mean? Other language learning apps also use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts, and their teaching methods have been scientifically proven to be effective. And Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. That's what I've been working on. So start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. And right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you get an additional three months free. That is six months for the price of three. So just go to Babbel.com and use promo code DailyBeans. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Code DailyBeans for an extra three months free. Babbel, language for life. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news.
It's time for Luck of the Irish News on this St. Paddy's Day. Everyone, if you have good news segments or confessions or corrections or misheard song lyrics or you want us to guess your mixed breed rescue pup in what the mutt or if you have a dispute you need solved in Amy's court. Pretty much anything. I mean, I don't even know why I go through the list anymore. Anything you want to send in, go ahead and send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact and we will read it on the air unless you want to be anonymous. First up, I think I'm going to take these first two here. Go for it. Arthur, no pronouns given. Love the Daily Beans podcast. I thought Hotel California started with, On a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, Once smelled a policeman rising up through the air. <laughs> so, there's that. There's, I'm not, I mean, isn't, is it, I think the words are colitis. What is that? Does anyone know what that is? Yeah, warm smell of colitis. Yes, it's a it's a it's a plant that grows in the desert when it gets uh, moist go. from rain. It has this really pungent smell, and so that's the smell of uh, desert rain. It sounds very dirty to me. Mm, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> now, next up from anonymous pronouns, they and them. I'm actually surprised no one has ever misheard the lyrics. Is one smell cunnilingus? <laughs> yeah, rising up through the air. Okay. Well, yeah, because the rest of the song sort of indicates that that could be true. Okay. Yep. Okay. Next up, anonymous pronouns, they and them, ladies of the legume. Step right up and guess my mutt. <laughs> Let me present Tina, thief of bones, hoarder of toys, and center of my dad's universe. See how her wide, round face with curly blonde hair is mismatched to her sausage-tubed body with a <laughs> wire-stiff coat. She may not be the large dog, but if you put her on the other side of the scale with a chihuahua, she would hover pretty close to the ground. Both of her parents are show dogs. She was born on the other side of the mattress. Can you guess her breed? What breed is the dog from <gasps> As Good As It Gets? Oh. Is Shih Tzu? No. 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 Verdell is a, not a Bichon Frisee, a Brussels Griffon. Okay, so I think there's Brussels Griffon, and I think there is Wiener Dog hmm. in this as well. I see a, I see a Pekingese in here. I see a Pekingese and a, and a whatever a Toto is. Oh. What was Toto? I need to look that up. Toto, I don't know. I think Toto was also a mutt, so I don't know if that... Mm. No, terrier. Cairn Terrier, maybe? What kind of dog <laughs> Is that was... a terrier that asks for the manager all the time? Oh, wait. <laughs> Karen. Uh, <laughs> Terry the Terrier from... Uh, uh, why does it... Why aren't you telling me? It's a Terry. Karen Terrier. All right. <laughs> s- s- shall we peek a knees at the, at the, at the answer? Uh, yeah, let's... let's Pekingese. Oh. <laughs> her father was a purebred pug. Ah, Pekingese. That's what I'm saying. We're both wrong. And her mother was a cockapoo, yep. which is a cocker spaniel poodle. They got her on the cheap. Does that make her a pug a cockapoo? A cockapugapoo? I don't think she'll be showing at Westminster, but she's very happy. She's adorable, Ugh. by the way, and she sits like a person, which I love. So sweet. God loves a terrier. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for that <laughs> submission. <laughs> Uh, this one's next one. This one's next one. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, this next This next one. I haven't even started drinking yet. This next one's from Trevor Pronouncy and him. Hi, AG and Dana. I've been listening. I've been a listener since the kitchen days and proud sponsor for patrons. Well, I miss the sound of AG's cat periodically retching in the corner. <laughs> I've been incredibly grateful for the journey you've led us on and the community you've built and for the addition of Dana, whose good humor and kindness radiates through the audio waves. Aww. Trevor, thank you for that. Good news. 
After many months of effort, I was finally able to get married. My wife and I had to set a wedding had to set a wedding date for August 2020, but because of COVID, we decided to postpone the ceremony for a full year. In the meantime, we asked a friend to perform a small Zoom wedding with close family and friends near our original date because, well, we felt like we needed a little joy in these difficult Good times. Call. However, the marriage took six months to become official. We lived in Washington, D.C. We saw A.G. live with Mueller, she wrote, came he- when Molly Shiro came here. Now, due to COVID restrictions, our marriage license office has been closed to the public. They have electronic options, but have been so overwhelmed, our application kept getting lost in the shuffle. After all these months, we finally connected with a marriage license official who was extremely kind and eager to help us. Civil servants really do just want to do their jobs. Yep. Our certificate was then slowed by USPS delivery. <laughs> thank you, Trump. And finally arrived. Actually, I should say thank you to Joy. Throughout this process, we thankfully kept the perspective that other people have many more challenges right now and of course having the zoom wedding with family and friends was the most important part but having it be official gives us something to celebrate all over again and now looking for more um and more like we can gather some friends and family safely uh, for a formal ceremony in july keep up the great work i love laughing along with your take on the news and all the amazing and hilarious stories from this community I convinced my mom to start listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. and she's a huge fan now. I promised her if I ever get famous, I'll give her a shout-out. And this is probably as close as I'm ever going to get. Hi, Mom. <laughs> mom, that's some Trevor. Okay. For my What the Mutt pod pet tax. Oh, here we go. I've attached two pictures, both rescue pets. The first is my dear sweet girl, Nico, who passed away nearly two years ago, very suddenly, from an undetected Aww. tumor. I still miss her every day. I wanted to include her because she was a huge Muller She Wrote fan. Now, the other is my wife's dog, Maybell, who we call the Gentle Giant. There are a lot of pandemic puppy adoptions in my neighborhood, and Maybell is getting old enough. Uh, she doesn't really love max- <laughs> maximum puppy energy in her face all the time, but she quietly endures their playful bounces as we walk around the neighborhood. Nico, predominantly... Oh, I'm not, I don't know what to do with this. Because the answers are right there. Damn it. Oh, I think he's just telling us. Oh, okay. Nico, uh, predominantly Vislamix mm-hmm. and some hound. Mm-hmm. Maybell, American foxhound, and according to DNA tests, Collie. We really don't see any Collie. Uh, I can safely say AG and I would have gotten neither of these cracks. <laughs> I would have got, I might have gotten Visla because it does look that does have a Visla look to it. But that is just a friggin' German Shepherd. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> What an adorable baby. That's amazing. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for that incredible submission and congratulations on your nuptials and keep celebrating as many times as you can. Yeah, why not? Next up from Amanda, no pronouns given. Hey, Beans Queens. Once again, I've waited too long to submit just one or two items. So take a deep breath. Here we go. I have great news. My high risk husband got vaccinated on Friday. Yay. I told him on his way out the door to ask the pharmacist if they ever had any leftovers because I would run my happy little ass down there ASAP. The husband did as he was told. And two hours later, I got a call from the pharmacy to come in and get my first shot because they had an appointment cancellation. And I was the only one on their list. I cried happy tears the entire five minute drive there. Maybe in five weeks time, I'll be able to give my mom a hug for the first time in a year and a half. I'm literally counting down the days. Same, Amanda. Same. I have some misheard lyrics when my husband and I met the song Rock Me Amadeus came out. I was baffled when the husband started to sing the chorus. In his brain, it was hot potatoes, hot potatoes, hot potatoes, hot potatoes, hot potatoes. How does that even remotely make sense? 
<laughs> but it is stood the test of time, and I can't hear the song without singing Hot Potatoes now instead of Amadeus, Amadeus, come on and rock Amadeus. Me, Amadeus. Yeah. Also, I just got notice that a course I proposed for a grad level course was approved and I get to teach it. So I'll be teaching my first grad course in a field that I love, absolutely love. I'm terrified and excited to share my love of my field with my students. More good news. What? I joined the I Started a Podcast in Quarantine crew. As terrified as I was of being awful and messing up, I just decided to go for it because I kept thinking about how much I love listening to you ladies. And now you aren't afraid to mess up and correct yourselves. I love how natural you make it feel. I'm so glad I did it. It's been a great mental escape. I teamed up with a friend and my sister, and we're bulldozing our way through learning about whiskey. We're, we're complete novices, but it's just been amazing. It's called Blind Drams. If you're ever out this way, you have, to open, you have an open invitation to drink whiskey with us and offer, and the offer will always stand. We don't need a podcast for that. Uh, Amanda, but I will. I totally will. Thank you, ladies, for being such a bright spot in my day, for your empathy and for inspiring me to do something I didn't think I could ever do. Sincerely, thank you for my tax. I offer up my favorite spot to sit and sip a glass of whiskey. Shlansha. Nice. That's gorgeous. Erin Cobra. Oh, wow. That sky. There's like a little, it's like a, it's like a, a field with a little old barn and some beautiful trees in the background just delicious orange sunset gorgeous absolutely and and a nice addition to the whiskey that's for sure all right this next one is from anonymous pronoun she and her hi all i so enjoy the show besides my coffee it's my favorite part of waking up i have good news to share I defended my doctoral dissertation on March 8th. Perfect, Perfect way to celebrate International Women's Day with a dissertation on women's history. I'm 58, and this has been a long process. For my pet tax, here's the four-legged crew. Rhea, blind kitty with no tail, but lots of attitude. <laughs> Never met a box she didn't love. Sparky, ginger boy, obviously very concerned about what his next meal will arrive. And Rosie, a.k.a. Murder Mouth. She's quite the chipmunk hunter. <laughs> yeah, that's my Bruce Willis. Oh, my God, look at the orange kitty. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Feed me. <laughs> oh, murder mouth. Oh, gosh, that last cat. All three of these cats are gorgeous. Markings, look at that. So pretty. I like yeah. that. I like, oh, Rhea's pretty, too. Oh, oh, so cute. All right, next up from Anonymous, no pronouns given. I have some good news and a pet tax combo. Friends of mine live in a neighborhood surrounded by hydro canals where a small colony of feral cats live. Well, nearly 12 years ago, one of the ferals gave birth to a litter of four on their back porch. They were able to trap the kittens and the mom several months later, and I immediately knew which one I wanted. For the past 11 and a half years, Pearl, named for Pirates of the Caribbean, Black Pearl, has been very skittish around humans, but would never be in the same room as me, unless, of course, the food and water bowl was empty. But knowing that she's safe inside with a full belly and a comfy bed has been the best thing to have happened to both of us. Now, for the good news, I was sitting on the couch catching up on some of the news that I took a break when this happened. Not only did Pearl settle down for a nap beside me, but she actually reached out and touched my hand. I have also attached my other girl, Ruby, a tabby who almost never leaves my side. Thanks for all you do to keep the news to keep the news making sense to this Canadian. Oh, <gasps> so sweet. Yay. <gasps> Oh, I love I love that we're ending on that story. These pictures oh, are just so beautiful. The kitty with the paw on the hand that settled near you. Oh, how wonderful. What what a great picture. <gasps> mm. Well, everyone, please send in your stuff. Send it to uh send it to us at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact and uh you can get it to us and we will read it. Unless you don't want us to. <laughs> and then we won't. Mm-hmm. 
That's how it goes. Because we respect your privacy and your wishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just don't put you don't want us to read it at the end. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's happened to me before. I was reading, somebody sent me a note. And they're like, here's my name and thanks. And oh, by the way, don't say anything on the air. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my. Don't bury the lead, people. Don't bury the lead. We need it. Yep, need the lead. Uh, anything before we get out of here? No, just everyone have a really nice evening. I'm looking forward to another episode tomorrow. And then uh, our, uh, oh, what day is it? It's Wednesday right now. We have so much. We have so much still. Yeah. yeah. Just have a great night. Yeah, and it is it is Wednesday, so there's a new episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45 out. So check that out if you would. Please follow, subscribe, rate it if you haven't. I'd appreciate it. And if you could follow us on Twitter at Aisle45Pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. That would be wonderful. I'd appreciate it very, very much. Everyone, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health, take care of the planet, and happy St. Patty's Day. Them's the beans. Oh, wait. I was like, hey, what? Don't I get to say goodbye? I forgot to do that thing. I'm AG. Oh, and I'm DG. Are we not going back? Oh, we can go back. Let's just do the whole thing again. (laughs) Everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health, take care of the planet, and have a happy St. Patty's Day. I'm AG. And I'm DG. (laughs) Them's the beans. I was like, wait, wait, hey. No, you shut up. No, you shut up. You should. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye. Bye. The Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazzell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. Hey, everybody, do not miss our Daily Beans After Party on the Stereo app. We'll be going live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Dana and I want to hear from you. Our last stereo show went a little bit like this. Following the rules, making changes. You know, Being ethical and shit. I'm sorry, what? Being ethical? I know. Who the fuck ever heard of that? For the last four years, we didn't remember any of that. I want to have a shirt. Just out here being ethical and shit. Oh, my God. All right, let's see what we got next here. Rosie here. Raphael is a certified loon. He's goofy as a damn cartoon. Betrayed our great land. We don't understand. Fuck you, Ted. Go back to Cancun. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Rosie. See, this is what I'm talking about. The creativity. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, my God. Thank you. Uh, What a piece of shit. I am getting real sick and tired, too, of, of people on, on Twitter and the social media saying Texas gets what it deserves. No. Um, yeah. This is not the the spirit of the Democratic Party. I have been saying forever when, you know, when we win back the White House, when we win Congress, every American deserves health care, uh, access to education, um, it's just everything you put the ballot box right you know access to the ballot box everything every american deserves that no matter who you voted for and that's Mm -hmm. this that's what i wanted to set us that's what sets us apart from republicans